everybody. This is Anna and Brian from Amada World Podcast. And today we have our next guest for the web free episode, Tom Hadley, who is a founder and director of Sufu. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hi, Anna. Hi, Brian. It's great to be here with you guys. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, could you give some introduction to yourself and your background? Sure. So uh, my background is very much in the agency space in the UK. So I am in my 22nd year in the industry. I started the very, I guess, at the height of the first dot-com boom in 2000. And I've worked for, for quite a few different creative agencies in digital advertising and uh, digital creative across that whole sector. I founded Sufu in 2011. And we ran as a boutique marketing agency for about 10 years. And then in 2021, I pulled it all apart and built something new. So the, the brand is still the same, well, the name is still the same, but the work that we do now with an eye on the Web3 future is pretty different to the work that I've done in the past. So that's hopefully something I can explain a little bit about today is why I made that choice and why I changed my business to, to look at the internet of the future. I'm sure there's going to be quite a story behind that. So, like, can you tell us how did you first come across WebTree and what kind of attracted you uh, to almost like model your new business around that? I think my first meaningful uh, introduction to it probably wasn't actually a positive one, but it becomes positive. <laughs> so I, I'm quite a keen photographer, and I think I probably became most aware probably in about 2018 when the OpenSea platform started and the real and the and I guess at that point in time was just when the NFT craze or, or images as NFTs became this you know huge gold rush. Uh, and there was at the time I was I was quite active in the photography community and there was quite a lot of skepticism. There were a lot of people jumping on it very quickly and quite a few people making some pretty decent money out of it. But there were also quite a lot of people who were pretty skeptical about what this meant. So that probably wasn't the best introduction in the world. However, since then, things have matured a bit. And I'm very fortunate to have some good friends from my industry background days who are now who've now built their own businesses in this space. And I should probably I should probably give a couple of them a shout out. So yeah, um, key to this would be my my friends Doug Lapsley and, and Ian Clinch, who have a business called Unreal Events in the UK, and they are they are metaverse builders, and they've done some awesome work. So I'm very grateful to people like that, to my peers who have shown me shown me under the hood of Web three technologies, showed me what's possible, showed me the sorts of where their ideas are going, and that's helped educate me considerably in seeing things very differently. I think there's there's also some key people out there on social media who are doing a really good job of explaining it to people. So I would I would definitely give a shout out to Zoe Scammon uh, as somebody who I follow on Twitter, sorry on X, and and I think Zoe is one of those people who has been giving people exactly the right kind of messages about. Web3 about the power of community within Web3 and how we can really go about doing things the right way. So there's definitely good people out there 
giving the giving positive messages and 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 building strong use use cases for what this should all be about in the future. Probably for our listeners, it might be very useful if you give some examples for the projects、uh, you're working on right now. Sure. So. Well, there's one. There's one small problem with that, which is that because I'm a, because I'm primarily a specialist in brand, brand messaging, and brand positioning, a great deal of the work that I do is done under NDA. So I have to be a little bit light on some of the specifics that I tell you about. Otherwise, I will upset some of my key clients. But what I can do, which is probably the most useful thing I can tell you, is to talk about the nature of the work and. What a what a why a brand person like me is so particularly interested in Web three, and what that is is my particular interest is in looking at how behavioural science can be deployed to look at Web three engagement and how we really get people transitioning from the Web two era into the Web three era, and that's about answering or solving four problems. The first problem is the problem of too much information, because there's a lot. There's a lot out there. There's a lot out there, and we don't necessarily know what to do with that. Especially for something like Web three, where it is all very new and it's all very different from what has come before. So, for people who don't know, behavioral science is simply looking at the cognitive biases that drive how we think about anything, and Looking at how we can how we can use the science behind those things and, and the techniques and effects that happen in the human brain to solve some of these problems. So that I'll, I'll, go, I'll run you through very quickly what the four problems are and some of the techniques that I use to, to fix them. So the first problem is too much information. We're just we're deluged with with an internet full of stuff. We don't really know what to believe, and the, the problems that happen are. We're all victims of something called confirmation bias, which is where we tend to place a lot more trust in things that we know. So, if we've got something that can confirm what we're being asked to believe, we'll trust it. And if we can't, we find it much more difficult. So, that's a problem with Web three because it's all very new and all very scary, and we don't really have anything to kind of compare it to. One of the things that we can do、um, to combat that. Is to use something called anchoring, which is if you can get if you can get somebody to just take in one key point of information, you can use that as a as an anchor, as the word suggests, as a hook, to then say to people, well, just if you can trust in that, then you can come a little bit further into this, and you can you can start to judge it and start to feel okay about exploring it without feeling like it's also scary. So, looking at how. What sort of things have we got that we can use as 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 anchoring、uh, effects in 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 Web three is a, is a really important thing. So that's one thing. The second problem is there's a lot of information but not enough meaning. So oftentimes we don't know what、um, what things really mean when people talk about blockchain. It's like what does it mean? How would I use it? And so the biases that happen there are. We tend to have what are called attribution errors, and that's simply believing in the wrong thing. It's very easy when there's when there's things are new, we don't know who to trust to sort of grip onto someone and go, "Oh, well, I've seen something that this person said, and that's what I've chosen to believe." And that could be right, or it could be wrong. And if it's wrong, it's an attribution error. So, what we need 
is we need to find ways of building trust. And one of the ways of doing that is getting people who we already trust about other things. I mean, you see this, this is why celebrities, you know, are so good at brand building these days. You know, that's how take anybody alike. You know, Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, these guys are so good at George Clooney growing brands because I don't necessarily know if Dwayne Johnson knows a lot about tequila, but I but you know, he's a guy I kind of like, so I'm probably gonna buy his tequila brand or whatever it is, or George Clooney and his Nespresso machines or whatever whatever brand association is going on there. Uh so you know, that's 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 something called the halo effect, where we uh we tend to sort of kind of go, okay, well I think I trust this person for something else, and I'll so I'll I'll probably trust them if they start telling me that this other thing's a good thing too. So that's that's how we deal with not enough meaning. The third problem is that we all want to act fast. We all want to get on and get stuff done. And that causes us to behave in certain ways. And what we tend to do is if I if we if we understand if we can see a prize that's pretty close in front of us, we'll prize that more than an out a good outcome that's further into the future. And that's something called that's in behavioral science they call that hyperbolic discounting. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a crazy long word, but that's the proper term for it. And it's basically so in terms of that, how do we with Web3, how can we create things that people can use to start to have a go, to start to give people enough that they'll go, okay, I can get into this without making that the be all and end all, such that people ever become disappointed and go, Oh, oh, is that all it is? And then they start to become disappointed. And you go, oh, no, 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 that's not all it is. There's a whole load of other cool stuff this can do, but we haven't built that yet. So it's just, it's, it's understanding that that bias is very real in people. And how do we manage it to get them to engage with, with Web3 technology? And the second point with that is uh, uh, something that if we, if we start doing something, we tend to want to finish it. It's kind of the kind of the I've started, so I'll finish rule. The, the, again, the, the fancy name for it is sunk cost fallacy, which is like, oh, no, I've invested time and maybe money in something. So I'm not prepared to put, I'm not prepared to, you know, I don't, I don't want to sort of say, oh, I wasted that money investing in that or that time investing in that. I'm going to go do something. I'm going to change pivot to something else now. So we tend to stick at what we start. So that's a good thing. If again, if we can, if we can anchor these things and we can give people some real tangible early value, the chances are they'll come with us a little bit further on the journey than they otherwise would. And the fourth problem is working out what to remember, working out what is the important stuff with this that I should be committing to memory and what should I not? And there's a very famous rule that was developed by a guy called Daniel Kahneman who wrote a famous book called Thinking Fast and Slow, which is kind of one of the foundational texts of behavioral science and behavioral economics. And he had this thing called the peak end rule, which is about how our brains remember things. And Kahneman said that the most important thing in any experience in how we remember it is the most, uh, the most visceral, most kind of either exciting or disappointing thing about an experience, and then how we felt at the end. And the great test of this, if you want to, if anybody wants to test it for themselves, is go look at TripAdvisor reviews, because TripAdvisor reviews are perfect examples of the peak end rule. If you look at how people write them, they'll always mention kind of the biggest thing that happened, whether it was the best thing or the worst thing. Um, and then they'll mention how they felt at the end. But very rarely will they sort of tell you they bother writing about how they felt on day two. 
because that's not how our memories work. And nobody remembers that stuff. We just remember the biggest, the biggest thing, best or worst, and how we felt at the end. So you can see these things, you can see these, these behavioral science principles playing out very much in, in everyday, in our everyday life on the internet. So that's probably a bit of a, quite a long answer to that, but I just thought it's worth people understanding those kind of four key principles about what behavioral science does and how we can then start to apply that to Web3. So like in, in your experience, how have brands that are coming into Web3, do you think they are applying a lot of these principles, which I guess when, when you're helping these brands, do you think, where do they lack? like in terms of those four points? Well, I think what they tend to be is, is more open-minded about looking at this stuff because, because it's new technology and because it really requires us to, to kind of think a different way about what the next iteration of the internet is like. People don't start from a, oh, okay, well, this, I've got 10 years of experience of doing this stuff this way, therefore I'm just going to keep... They tend to be a little bit more open-minded saying, is there, is there a new way we can do this? So I think you can start to talk about some of those behavioral science techniques a little bit earlier in the piece. Whereas people who are very much in the web two mentality, they're like, no, 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 I know how to do this. We know what works. And they're a little bit more resistant to, to, to thinking about some of these things. So I, that's why I think it's really important for people like me who want to change, you know, other facets of marketing to actually get on board with web three technology people, because we've all got a, a mission that can work very well hand in hand. Right now, Web3 doesn't get as much attention as it used to, and probably it's harder to reach uh, some of the brands, especially after hearing a lot of stories when on OpenSea some people would create some NFT collections, raise a lot of money, and after just disappear. So what do you think how we can break the barrier because of that? that people are not trusting that technology anymore. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. And I've seen quite a lot of chat in recent days on, on, on social platforms about this, because exactly this point. And one of the things that I would say is, I think the people we need to bring with us on this journey are investors. At the moment, what is hot out there, especially, you know, with, especially with AI being the current, the current thing, is that... Um, you know, everybody's investors are kind of, they're always sort of looking for unicorns. They're looking for these massively scaling ideas. And I'm noting, I know quite a few investors and I, and I keep the sort of the pulse of how they're thinking. And a lot of them are starting to think, you know, it's not all about finding that mega, mega unicorn investment project. And I think as we, as we go into the future, what we can do is we need to start educating those people more saying stuff like this hasn't gone you know anyway just because something's gone out of the media and gone out of the news doesn't mean the values disappeared just means the media have decided to you know focus on something else for a, for a few months and i think there is there's also a um a, a misunderstanding that i don't know if you know do you ever heard of something called the gartner hype cycle yeah so Obviously, that's a thing, that's a graph that Gartner did that sort of said, oh, you know, when new technologies come along, we all get incredibly excited about them. And then we plunge back down into this sort of pit of despair that, oh, it's all rubbish and it doesn't work. And then we slowly build back. Now, I don't think that's necessarily true. And to give a shout out to somebody else, actually, I saw uh, Tom Goodwin, 
talking about this on X the other day, and he was saying exactly this, that not everything has to go through the Gartner hype cycle. You know, you look at some of the key transformational technologies that we have brought on board, whether that's Wi-Fi, GPS, smartphones, APIs, stuff like that. that. Those things didn't go through a Gartner hype cycle just because a few things did, just because some things like 3D printing, perhaps as an example of one perhaps that did, and certainly ChatGPT is probably going through that right now. But just because just because there's a few things that follow that model, it doesn't mean that that everything ha- that everything has to. And I think that's but the key thing is is probably worrying less about the public and worrying less about oh let's try and get 100 million users for every single thing as quickly as possible because that's the only signal that something's going to work. And actually educating investors to say no, it doesn't have to be on those terms. We can build better value, lasting value. Look at these examples over here. And I think that then again, that allows people to invest in a different way that allows the technologies to build in a more useful way that stops this being a whole like everybody's talking about it, nobody's talking about it. I think I think we can do that. But again, it's going to take the right education. It's going to take us all talking in sensible terms about the value that we're building. I guess um in your mind, what do you think is the the biggest thing that we can learn from Web3, like as, because you talked a lot about the values principles, like what do you think that, you know, folks in living in the Web2 era or living the old, sort of old way of thinking, what do you think they could learn, benefit from Web3? Well, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to channel Yoda from Star Wars and say, there's a lot of, we must unlearn what we have learned. I saw a really, really interesting keynote speech a few months ago by chap called Yuval Noah Harari, who is an Israeli historian and an author. He wrote the fantastic books, Sapiens and Homo Deus. If, if anybody's read either of those books, they're really, they're really fantastic. And in this, in this keynote, he was talking about AI, but he said had a wider implication was he said, the last 10 years have been about the battle for attention. The next 10 years are about the battle for intimacy. And I thought that was a very wise thing to say, because if you think back over the last 10 years, yeah, that the technologies that we've developed in Web 2 very much are designed for attention. They're big public spaces where we all sort of yell and stamp our feet and go, look at me, look at me. And that's kind of what the game is. But we're all getting kind of sick of that game now. You know, we're not we're not enjoying it. It's not it's not as much fun as it was ten years ago. It's become kind of toxic and and too much. And we're all suffering from context collapse of just seeing overwhelming amounts of information, which, as I mentioned before, does not please our cognitive biases in any way, shape, or form. So, I think that's what the traditional Marxist Web two folks need to learn is. The times are changing. This is if I think if you see it as a decade of of Web2 battle for attention and then say, can you see why that's just not going to continue for another 10 years and that we're going to move into this era of trust, largely driven by generative AI, because we are not going to be able to figure out very easily what is real and what is not in the next 10 years you know we've already seen how good deep fake videos are we've already seen you know what you know midjourney can produce in terms of in terms of imagery and it's and it's so it's hard it's kind of like well how how do i know what to believe anymore and i think that's the one of the other main reasons why behavior becomes ever more important because when audio and visual media cannot be relied upon 
what can what will what will win that battle for intimacy and it is how we behave with each other and that's why smaller communities i think are going to be the way forward i think if you put all the those jigsaw pieces together it starts to just it starts to make pretty compelling sense that that's the way it's going to go and do you have any additional hopes and predictions for the future of about free field. Well, as I say, I mean, I've already, I've already sort of bigged up, bigged up behavior and the role of behavioral science. So my hope is that we will focus hard on valuable use cases. I think rather than just talking about Web three, talking about blockchain, talking about NA3s, people don't really understand what this is and they don't understand how they can put it to use. And unfortunately, they've seen some not great examples. You know, the the whole NFTs as JPEGs thing was only a very, very limited use case. And yet it was made out to be this huge thing. So it's not really helpful when we do that. So my hope is we'll, we'll focus hard on that. My prediction, my prediction is, is that actually, I think we still have some hard yards to do. I think that Web3 still has a huge ideological battle to go through because fundamentally what we're talking about is a libertarian web where we can all slightly make our own rules more and you know, run our communities and build trust and use blockchain as, as a fundamental unit of trust in whatever way we want. So that's fundamentally libertarian versus an awful lot of people who still want a more unified and regulated web and world for that matter, because actually some of the principles of this go beyond Web3, go beyond Web3. Well, you know, there's, there's a battle at the moment in the world for do we want do we want to be, you know, do we want to come together as humanity or do we want to, is it easier to run away and, and sort of live in ever smaller groups? That's an enormous battle. That is that, that battle for intimacy, I think, again, over the next 10 years. So we've got to resolve that within technology, within Web3. And obviously, I hope I don't really know which way that's going to go. I don't think any of us can predict entirely which way that is going to go at the moment. Uh, the important thing is to just acknowledge it and be ready and be watching for, you know, which which direction things seem to be taking. Well, thanks. Thank you for that. I think we're finally reaching the end of the podcast. So I'd like to leave a few minutes at the end for yourself to give any shout outs or last words for listeners. How can they find out more about the stuff that you do? How can they can they get in touch? Well, if you so you can come find me on LinkedIn, post pretty regularly about all of these sorts of topics. You know, I don't post selfies on LinkedIn. I I talk about thought experiments and and the future of the web. So come follow me on on LinkedIn. You'll find me uh, under Tom Hadley on LinkedIn and Sufu. If you want to really chat to me, come and chat to me on X. I'm at Sufu Marketing on X, and uh, that's that's the slightly more unfiltered me. And if you, if any of your listeners would like to just start to be able to explore some of this stuff for themselves, I've also designed an interactive exercise using Score App to, um, to be able to to kind of test how powerful. Uh, anyone's current brand identity is. And I think it will help them just start to look into some of this behavioral stuff that I've been talking about and just give them just give them a sense of where they are, give them a benchmark as to where they are today. So you can get to that via fufumarketing.scoreapp.com. Thank you for that. We'll be sure to leave all those links in the description so people will be able to find it. Awesome. Thanks thanks ever so much for, for listening. I hope I haven't rambled on too much. No, no, I think that's that's the best part of the podcast, really. <laughs> we like it when the guests ramble. That is what it's based for.
Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And as I say, I'm an eternal optimist. And I think I think we, we should be positive about the future. I think there's, there's amazing things to do. And as I say the Web3 era is full of full of excitement, full of promise. We should go into it with with all the optimism and uh, and, and joy that we can. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. Yeah, it's great having you. So, right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank uh, you. Bye. Bye.